Our scripture text is Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. While you're turning there, um, I want to alert you so that I will, so that you will not be surprised that uh, in speaking of the sanctity of human life, I also need to address um, America's Holocaust, the evil of abortion. I would not be a faithful minister of Christ if I talked about the sanctity of human life and um, did not uh, wade right into the middle of this issue. Uh, However, uh, God's grace is so great that uh, it can meet uh, a person wherever they are. There is no sin that is greater than the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that the the uh, tragedy of abortion has uh, touched many families in America, and so um, I, I also want to remind you of uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus. Please hear God's Word. Genesis chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and on all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every morning... I'm sorry, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. For it is, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow are for our children, the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be with us as we have read your word and now as I seek to faithfully proclaim it. Um, 
give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Um, the the way that you treasure human life, for you are our Creator. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The most blessed gift to his family, um, or God's most blessed gift to his family, is the gift of life. He sent us the Prince of Peace as a babe in the manger. I said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question, or the real question we must answer is, are we on His side? I know what I'm about to say now is controversial, but I have to say it. This nation cannot continue turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the taking of some 4,000 unborn children's lives every day. That is one every 21 seconds. One every 21 seconds. We cannot pretend that America is preserving her first and highest ideal. The belief that each life is sacred when, we are, when we've permitted the deaths, deaths of 15 million helpless innocents since Roe versus Wade, um, that legal decision, 15 million children who will never laugh, never sing, never know the joy of human love, will never strive to heal the sick or feed the poor or make peace among nations. Abortion has denied them the first and most basic, right, most basic of human rights. We are all infinitely poor for their loss. There's another grim truth we, we should face up to. Medical science doctors confirm that when the lives of the unborn are snuffed out, they often feel pain, pain that is long and agonizing. This nation fought a terrible war so that black Americans would be guaranteed their God-given rights. Abraham Lincoln recognized that we could not survive as a free land when some could decide whether others should be free or slaves. Well, today, another question begs to be asked. How can we survive as a free nation when some decide that others are not fit to live and should be done away with? I believe no challenge is more important to the character of America than restoring the right to life to all human beings. Without that right, no other rights have meaning. Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. President Ronald Reagan, January 30, 1984. President Reagan uttered those words 19 years ago. And he's echoing what Christian theologians have been saying for a long time. That is, if we as a, society, as a society lose respect for the sanctity of human life, then we will act less humanly toward each other. We will become a more violent society, a more lawless society, a less loving society. Genesis 9 uh, 1 through 17 is all about the sanctity of human life. You will remember that before the flood, uh, human life had become very cheap. Society before the flood was primarily des described in terms of violence and murder. So as Noah and his family left the ark, God made it a priority to impress upon them the value that he places upon human life. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we see that God is the Lord of life. 
In verse 1, God commands Noah and his sons to be fruitful and to multiply. In verses 2 and 3, He tells Noah and his sons that they are free to eat, um, to eat animals. Now, before the flood, God made it unlawful for man to eat animals. Man was to be a vegetarian. Of course, God also made it unlawful for humans to kill each other, but they disregarded Him. So I imagine that they disregarded God and ate animals before the flood. But now, after the flood, God says it is lawful to eat animals. All this is simply to tell us that God is the Lord of life. He commands that we should be fruitful and multiply. He commands that we can eat, uh, that we can kill and eat animal life. He's the Lord of life. He's the Creator. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says, For I formed you in my inward... I'm sorry. For you were formed in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God created you. He made you. You were exactly who God created you to be. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And He has numbered the length of your days. You're not a highly evolved animal. You're not an accident of the universe. Your life has meaning and purpose. But not a meaning and purpose that you have to somehow find. God has to find your meaning and your purpose. You exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You do not belong to God I'm sorry. You belong not to yourself. You belong to God. Because God is the creator of all life. He attaches value to all of life. Even the animals that we are allowed to kill and eat have value beyond their taste. They are God's creatures, so they have intrinsic value. One way that God showed humans the value of animals is that even though we are free to kill and eat eat them and enjoy them as we eat them, um, we are we are not allowed to eat flesh with its life, that is, with its blood. And what this means is that human beings um, are not to eat animals the way animals devour one another while the blood is still pulsing through the flesh. Um, you know, we're, that's, that, I think, is what is intended here. So um, the idea of eating flesh uh, while it still has blood pulsing through it is very different than buying a steak and eating it rare or medium rare. Uh, you are free to, uh, to eat that steak, to savor it, uh, savor every bite. Um, God wanted humans to, to attach special importance uh, 
to the blood because he intended to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save the world by his precious blood. Human life, however, uh, even though animal life is valuable, human life is much, much more valuable. Verse 5 says that if anyone sheds uh, the blood of a human being, that there will be a reckoning. Human life is so valuable that God will, will require the life of the person who murders his fellow, um, his fellow man. According to God, a just society practices the death penalty. So look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Now this is not saying that uh, if someone kills someone you love that you can go and exact retribution or you can go and exercise vengeance. That's not what it says. Exacting retribution is not a personal matter. Romans 12, verses 17 through 19 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends upon you, live peaceably with all. That would include your enemies. And then verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So an individual must never exact vengeance. But a just society must seek real justice. And God, the judge, the lawgiver, has defined for us what is real justice. Verses 5 and 6 are very clear. Now I know that there are those who argue against the death penalty on humane grounds, but to do so is to argue against God's Word. The death penalty exists precisely because of God's humane concerns. To ignore God's Word in this matter is to despise life. The world before the flood was very inhumane. It was violent. Our world is violent. The death penalty is intended to protect human life. To ignore God's Word in this area is to descend ever more as a society into violence and to further cheapen life. And our society, unfortunately, is rapidly cheapening life. Have you heard about the, the Kermit Gosnell trial in Philadelphia? You probably haven't because most of the major news outlets have refused to report it. But what's funny, and, and uh, not funny, there's nothing funny about it, um, but at the end of this week, the fact that the media basically had imposed a blackout on this became a scandal. And uh, simply, if you, if you have the stomach for it, Google abortion trial in Philadelphia and you will read about horrors 
that should only be reserved for the depths, the deepest depths of hell. Basically, this trial is about an abortion clinic in Philadelphia where the doctor routinely performed later term abortions. Uh, these late term abortions, um, basically, and I'm not going to go into to any graphic detail, but the baby is partially removed from the mother's womb and um, in, in, in a lot of these cases and then killed before it's deli- um, completely delivered so that it is a permissible and legal abortion. And if the baby makes it out of the birth canal, then it becomes murder in the eyes of the law to kill the baby. Um, it defies reason and compassion that our society is able to say somehow that a, that a fetus only becomes life when it leaves the mother's womb. It defies reason and compassion that it is actually lawful for abortion to be legal in our country. Um, anyway, this doctor found it apparently easier to deliver the baby completely before killing it. And so he's being charged with the crime of murder and the deaths of seven babies. But there's overwhelming evidence that he did this with hundreds of babies. Testimony of the clinic workers um, is beyond graphic. But our society's uh, news media did not find it worthy to report. And so, as I already mentioned, uh, late this past week, a firestorm erupted because uh, a USA Today uh, op-ed was published blasting all the other news outlets for covering it up. They were saying, this this far exceeds any other uh, mass murder that we've seen in our country. And, uh, And yet there's... There's a blank, uh, a blackout on this, and I could bring up other illustrations of how our society has uh, cheapened uh, its view of human life. Let me just say, it is not pleasing to God that our country, that our society, that our culture um, has such a cheap view of life. To move on, verse seven. God repeats what He said in verse 1. Humans are to be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth. Whenever I do pre-marriage counseling, I always bring this up, except for the widows and and widowers that I've married. Um, I know each couple. uh, Each couple has a uniquely sized quiver, uh, to paraphrase um, uh, the, the Scriptures about how uh, children are a blessing and, and it is a blessing to have a full quiver, like you know an archer having a full quiver of arrows. Um, well, each couple's quiver is uniquely sized. Uh, some couples will be able to raise more or less children than another couple. Um, there are many different variables to go in that go into these decisions about how many children. But I always encourage couples not to add, but to multiply when it comes to children. Um, Now, I realize that I've wandered into a minefield. Uh, There are questions that are going through your mind. Do I address these questions or do I ignore them for you to to ask me privately? No, I'm going to answer some of those. (laughs) So brace yourself. Uh, I do believe it is permissible for married couples to use birth control 
But I also believe that they should make it their goal to have children and to have as many as they can. I believe a couple should be wise, but at the same time they should pray for God to give them a lot of children. We've got the covenant promises. For God says, I will be a God to you and your children. Um, so I always love um, minivans or even full-size vans full of children uh, that you see out in the Presbyterian parking lots. Um, anyway, um, I like to joke around and say that I wanted to have six children and Manny wanted to have four, so we compromised at four. Um, actually, we, we uh, did not plan on having four children until Will was born. Um, and uh, when, we, when he came along, however, we knew our, our quiver was full. Uh, I was tempted to name him Caboose. <laughs> um, we, we knew that we could simply not give uh, all four of the children we needed, uh, give them the attention we needed with my work schedule, with me being out of the house so many nights a week. As I'm talking about this subject, let me just go ahead and remind you what you know already. But um, our society, even Christians, find it so easily uh, easy to uh, to forget. Um, I'm talking about married couples here. I'm talking about birth control for non-married couples. They should not be having sexual relations. To move on and to move out of this minefield, verses eight through seventeen. We find the famous promise that God will never destroy the world again by flood. And we find also this wonderful sign of the rainbow. God wanted us to know that He is a gracious God and that He He loves mankind. And so He did not want mankind to be on pins and needles wondering if we will reach the limits of His patience with our wickedness. He makes this promise to us that I'll never again destroy the earth by flood. And He makes it unconditionally. He attaches no conditions to this promise whatsoever. Um, now God will come back to judge the earth. But when He comes, He's not coming in pure justice. He's coming to gather His own. To gather His saints. To gather His church. His saints that trust in Him that are living when He comes back and even before He calls them to Himself, He's also calling those who've gone before us, those who are dead in Christ. They will rise first from the grave and they will receive a new body, a glorified body. They will meet the Lord in the air. He will come back, call us to be with Him in the air. He will destroy the earth with fire, not with water. He'll create a new heaven and new earth and bring us back into it. And so it is not coming with justice uh, only, but it is coming with love for His own. In the meantime, our job as God's people is to love God, to love each other, and to love our enemies. We are to proclaim His gospel. We are to build His church. We are to seek after His justice and righteousness in our society until He comes again. Now, 
Uh, we hear all these doomsday scenarios. Just this past week, I don't know if you saw the little headline. I didn't even bother reading it. Where Stephen Hawking said, if we are to survive as a race of people, we must learn to inhabit other planets. Because we won't be able to stay here on this earth. Um, you've got other people saying that global warming is going to wipe us out, overpopulation is going to wipe us out, an asteroid is going to wipe us out. Um, I'm not addressing any of those issues from the pulpit except to say that God will sustain this world and He will sustain humanity until He comes again to call the church to Himself. And then, as I've already mentioned, He'll destroy the earth by fire and create a new heavens and a new earth. God gave this promise that He would not destroy the world by flood again because He values human life. He loves human beings. He so loved the world. He so loved sinners that He sent His one and only Son Jesus Christ here into the world. He sent Him into the world clothed with flesh as a human being to suffer, to be crucified, to become sin for sinful human beings, to die in our place. That's how much God loves human beings. He sent His only begotten Son. No eye is seen. No ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. No eye has seen. No heart has been able to imagine how much God loves us. That He would send His only Son. As I pointed out last week, as the coming of Jesus at the end of history also points out, there's also a judgment. We live here on this earth. But we live because God loves sinners. But we will not always live here on this earth. Most of us, likely all of us, will die before the Lord Jesus comes back again. We pray He would come back in our lifetimes. It will be glorious. But we will have to stand before our Maker. And we will have to give account not only for our lives, but also for what we've done with Jesus Christ. Oh God, I know that You sent Your Son. I just wasn't willing to humble myself. I just never got around to trusting in Him. I heard about Jesus, but I didn't really think it was that important. I didn't think you were really that just. We are all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Trust in Him now. Not just to escape the judgment, but because He is good. And He loves you so much that He died for you. And you can know that if He died for you, He will graciously give you all things you need for life and for godliness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this message of life. It extends beyond this life that we live here in the body. 
It extends even beyond the life that we will live in a glorified state forever and ever. Rather, this message of life points to Jesus Christ and Your great love for sinners. Father, I pray that there would none, there would be none here who would ignore Him or find themselves without Jesus Christ as their Advocate, as their Redeemer, as their Savior on the Day of Judgment. I pray there would be none here that would, would uh, leave this building without Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so I pray You would work by Your Word and by Your Spirit powerfully in their hearts now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.